Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil. And man, was I impressed with the lifelike performance of veteran deceased actor Peter Cushing in today's film. Oh, oh man. Uh, I'm Andrew, and my opening line was going to be the Academy Award for the uncanniest valley should go to this <laughs> film. And it creeped me out to no end. Yeah. Did you, I was I found myself looking into his eyes a lot. It was so distracting. And there was nothing there was nothing there. Yeah, it was uh, it was empty. We're gonna talk all about the new film, which is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh we have a special guest joining us today. Uh his name is Clint. He's a previous collaborator with us on in here on in the queue. We're glad to have him back. Say hi to everybody, Clint. Hello, everyone. Thanks for letting me come on. Yeah. I know you don't normally let new people show up during pre or early releases, but I appreciate the chance. Well, hey, we appreciate. Normally, we don't. Yeah, but anybody who wants to come on and talk about a movie, hey, you know, we're game for that. You're an old friend. Yay! Indeed. Yeah. So before we uh, get into the discussion, though, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. You can go to our Facebook page, which is going to be in the queue, Q-U-E-U-E. And at both our blog and our Facebook page, you'll find all of our episodes posted. Um, you can enjoy the supplemental material we post on Facebook. And also on Facebook, if you want to come onto our show, as Clint is doing today, and you want to suggest a film that you would like us to review, you can leave that in a comment on Facebook and we'll get back to you. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Our handle is at ITQ Podcasts. Mm-hmm. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes as well as on the podcast and overcast aggregate apps. And uh, yeah, so there's no excuse to not being able to find us. None. And chances are, if you're listening to this, you've already found us. So that's good. Uh, as I mentioned, today's film is going to be a discussion about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Jin. Trust the Force. The Empire's building a weapon capable of destroying an entire planet. They call it the Death Star. We need to capture the plans if there's any hope of destroying it. We want to help. All right. How many do I need? I'll be there for you. The captain said I had to. Charming. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. I will not fail. The Imperial forces Um. are converging on our present location. (laughs) Take hold of this moment. Tell me you have a backup plan. Punch it. May the force be with us. Star Wars story. You almost got me. You're welcome. Ready PG-13 in theaters December 16th. 
Yeah, has that movie trailer voice at the end. <laughs> yeah, December sixteenth has passed, so it's already out. Yeah, so uh, yeah, um, that's that's the new film, and the the general kind of summary, uh, so that you get kind of a frame of reference for this discussion, is the main sort of character of this film is played by Felicity Jones. Her name is Jin Erso, and she's a member of the Rebel Alliance. Uh, should be said, this film takes place. Um, far in advance of Star Wars A New Hope. I wouldn't even say far far in advance. I I would say immediately leading up to. Yeah, I guess you're right, definitely, yeah. This isn't isn't like the the prequels that are 30 years prior, 20 years prior. Well, the last scene starts right where the New Hope starts. Right. Like that ship that leaves is the first shot you see in A New Hope bookends good point fair enough so yeah it takes place before it's a prequel to a new hope and in the film Jin Erso's father who's played by Mads Mikkelsen uh is a a good guy who is basically forced (laughs) by the empire to uh to help construct the death star yes Um, this is the death star as we grew to know and love it from Star Wars a new hope and uh but uh, even though he was building the Death Star, he enabled a certain fatal flaw in its construction that would enable it to be destroyed um, should the Rebel Alliance you know, want to do so. And uh, the plans for the Death Star, in, which include this secret sort of malfunction um, uh, capability, uh, are, gonna, are a hot property and... Jin Erso and her team of fellow rebels decide that they're going to steal the plans and therefore set into motion the rest of the Star Wars trilogy. Uh, some people have complained that they already know what the ending is going to be, so there's not much suspense. Oh, give me a break. Uh, some people say, some people like me say that the film, I think, is overly talky uh, mm. and a little bit short on new, uh, new action. It doesn't really bring anything new to the table. But um, I thought that I would first sort of query our guest, Clint, as to what made him... I mean, I guess everybody's excited about Star Wars, but what made you so excited about this new film? Just having sight, sight unseen deciding yeah. you wanted to talk about it with us today. Yeah. Well, I pretty much going into it knew I was going to love it because at the start of A New Hope, you learn that there's this plan that was given to the rebels that the empire obviously wants to know and you know a lot of people die in getting it so you already kind of, i already kind of knew it was going to be a dark film where most of the people that mm-hmm. we meet and hopefully got somewhat attached to or fond of were probably going to die yeah yeah and we should probably issue a spoiler alert at this point <laughs> that we're going to be yeah. talking probably about the film uh relatively in depth so if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to turn it off uh, and uh, come back to us once you've seen the film, uh, because there are going to be some uh, some pretty big plot spoilers. Even though, as Phil noted, we already know how this ends, uh, it's still the journey, people. It's the journey. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, 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 I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those people who thinks that you can't enjoy a film if you know how it's going to end. Another great example of that is Apollo 13, which sure. is. Uh, a wonderfully suspenseful movie 
even as you know exactly how it's going to end. It still keeps you like on the edge of your seat. But this one, I feel like, uh, did not quite succeed as much in in entertaining me. Although I haven't seen Apollo 13 in about 20 years, so I could be wrong. Uh, it's, it holds up. I watched it a couple years back. It's still really good. Okay. So um, why didn't you? Why weren't you that entertained? Or what was it about? Well. Okay, so I have to kind of preface this. We, <laughs> the three of us, had a little brief discussion before we started recording tonight about falling asleep at the movies. Andrew <laughs> claims he's never done it. It's except true. Maybe one time. It's true. I no, I, I came no, close. No. I never fell asleep. I came close. You know what's really funny, Andrew, is the last time that I fell asleep during a movie, and I slept even harder that time was for Godzilla, which is by the same director <laughs> as Rogue One. That's funny. So this may be, it, it may not be me, it may be Gareth Edwards, folks. <laughs> it might be. But yeah, I, I was kind of tired, and then like in the, sort of like at the middle middle section of the film, I found myself just kind of n- nodding off, and I guess I really only needed a few minutes, few meaning maybe 10 or 15, and then I was able to kind of force myself to snap back and pay attention. Could you and piece together what getting, you missed, or no? Well, I think what I really missed was just the introduction of all of the rebels who were part of the team. So, you know, you get to see them for the rest of the film and you see what they do. You see the different personalities they have and their different assets. So I was still able to kind of salvage the story. And uh, but still, I found like a, a lot of the movie was very dialogue driven and uh I found it to be kind of boring, to be honest with you. And and even the the action scenes, I felt, did not bring very much to the table, the Star Wars table, that is, <laughs> uh, except for the fact that, you know, martial arts master Donnie Yen is in this film, and he brought that kind of, like, aspect of of martial arts to the story, which you hadn't previously seen in a Star Wars movie. And so that was kind of interesting. Well, they did kind of get into... Guess? Using those like martial arts more in things like the Clone Wars, which he probably haven't really seen yeah, yeah. too much of. And they definitely did get into a lot of that in the prequels. Well, not a lot, but like a you know, fair amount. With like, with like Darth Maul and other yeah. characters, they definitely tried to make their fighting more sleek. And so it totally made sense for me to see that, but done in a full on way without him not actually having the Force, without him not being a Jedi. Yeah. But he could still. Yeah, I like... stopped after. Uh, I stopped after Phantom Menace, so I never actually saw the <laughs> other two prequels. Well, you did see. You got to see Darth Maul in there, though. You got to see his lightsaber duel with Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn. I think it's worth saying to our listeners that we're all three of us there at the screening of Phantom Menace. You mean when? Jay... Yeah. When yeah. when Boba Fett ran into a baby stroller when he was parachuting I, I think... out of the sky. No, it was Darth Maul. Oh, it, it was Darth, Darth Maul. It was Darth Maul, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He, he parachuted, this guy dressed as Darth Maul parachuted out of the sky and was landing in the, this parking lot of the Charlotte, North Carolina movie theater <laughs> as part of a big promotion. And he's like, as he's coming down, you can see him like waving his hands to the side. He's like, move, move, move. Get out of the and way. There's a woman with a stroller. <laughs> and she like, she doesn't realize that he's about to land on her stroller. And uh, so I don't baby. think she. She baby, did. Yeah. She ditched the stroller. She ditched the stroller and ran yeah. away from it. And but all of us had no idea. Of course, we thought there was a baby in it, and so did Darth Maul. 
<laughs> he really is a bad guy, folks. No, but he hit it. He hit that stroller hard, but in like this super martial arts move, like grabbed it and like pulled it to his chest so that no baby would fall out. I remember this very distinctly. He like mm-hmm. grabbed it and like pulled it to himself and rolled with it when he hit the ground in this kind of amazing way. Wow. And then uh, it was only then that we realized that there had been no baby in it at all. <laughs> <laughs> who knows maybe that was all part of the plan to have like an empty baby carriage right there it didn't look like it was part of the plan no, no, no. <laughs> but anyway yeah so I, I like a lot of people I was disappointed with the, the first prequel and so I kind of never saw the other ones but uh, I always thought that I mean I thought that going into Rogue One it was supposed to be more like the the classic space opera of the first three films and and not so much like the the prequels. Yeah, Phil, and we all like saw the... your video essay. <laughs> <laughs> I did make a video essay about it, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I think they actually did a somewhat decent job of trying to mix those two together. Like it definitely seemed flashy, like the prequels a lot of times, sure. but it still seemed subtle and subdued in cases well i I, yeah i thought it was very interesting because in in a lot of ways it didn't feel like a star wars movie um it felt like something wholly different they ditched a lot of the sort of hallmark hallmarks of the of the star wars films like there are no wipes in in the movie there's no crawl at the beginning of the movie um it actually used different music Music, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, Michael Giacchino, I think, wrote the music for this instead yeah, of. Yeah, but that was so. It was so lame. Like you, you sit down in your seats and the lights go down and it says, "A long time ago in a galaxy far away," and then you hear, like a ten percent different version of the Star Wars theme. Yeah, it was like that's not what happened. The rights. Well, no, like they they use all the John Williams music except for in certain cases, like. That one, like this one, they showed the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then it cuts right to a space, a shot of space with no music, and then like, I forgot what's in the first shot, but after the first scene, then they go to the title Rogue One, and it plays a new piece of music. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was. I think they should just have completely different music if they're not going to use the original. It just seems like a, a cheap knockoff to me. Yeah, well, I think that what they're intentionally trying to do, and this is probably smart from a franchise standpoint, uh, from a business perspective, is that they're trying to distance themselves a little bit from the original films while still maintaining that the flavor of them. Um, I mean, it still feels like a Star Wars movie in terms of the look, in terms of the feel, um, even if they're ditching a few of the the hallmarks. Like, you know, John Williams isn't going to be around forever. The man's getting pretty old. He's not going to be able to write Star Wars movies 15, 20 years from now, right? And as nearly as I can tell, Disney is going to be putting out one every year for 15 or 20 years, <laughs> uh, which, uh, which is fine, I guess. Um, but I get the distinct feeling that it's going to start to feel very much you know, how I feel about comic book movies. Um, and actually, that was one of the big things yeah. that I took away from this was... Uh, I enjoyed the film very much. Um, by and large, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that it was really uh, engaging. I thought that it was really enjoyable. Uh, but at the same time, there was a level of 
blandness to it uh, that made me think, oh dear, uh, if this is the first in the sort of direction that we're headed, then, you know, or, yeah. or the second, if you consider The Force Awakens to be the first, then, uh, you know, five years from now, we're going to be in a real bad place. Well, it got me thinking about why Star Wars became so popular. And I think it became popular for a couple reasons. One, the original three movies were very entertaining, well-made, imaginative, fun movies that kind of expanded the possibilities of what a movie could be. And, and they, they made a lot of money because they were so you know popular. And then for 16 years... Uh, they didn't make any more of them. There were a couple of. There was an Ewok movie. There were two <laughs> Ewok for the, movies. There was a, okay, a, there a was Star two Wars Christmas the, special. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's not forget that. But for the most part, <laughs> there was a, a a long gap when there weren't any more, and that just kind of increased the following, because more people talked about them and created products to fill that void, and I think, then now that we've got. We just had a really successful Star Wars movie last year, and now we've got this other one. Only a year later, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know Terrence Malick not making a movie for twenty years, and then all of a sudden he makes like five movies in five years. That's kind of what he's done, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You would have had to have been shooting that whole time then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I kind of feel like the the specialness of Star Wars is is getting less special now. I'll definitely agree. Like it's it's become more common, and you are like expecting more for each one since they are so. I mean, they have plans for 2020, right? 2021. Yeah, yeah. I think 2021 they've got them slated out. Yeah, it's like every odd year it's part of the original story, and then like there's two other Star Wars story ones, uh, which I'm actually just as equally excited about. There's the Han Solo one coming up next with. Donald Glover as Lando. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then oh, there's, cool. I guess, talk of uh, Boba Fett side story. Oh, man. Which is, <laughs> you know, could be really cool. Like, that just sounds like a character that is just ripe for any sort of, like, creation they want to give to this character because there's really not much that's known about him other than a few key things. And, mm-hmm. again, like, there, he was a big character in the Star in the Clone Wars, Mm-hmm. Because uh, he's actually a clone of the guy that was the DNA donor of all the other clones. Right, right. And so, like, I don't know. It's just, I'm excited about those, I think, more than the episode eight and nine. Well, I think the thing that's really interesting that they're doing, and I think is going to be uh, pretty telling as to how much leeway they're going to give to filmmakers who are who are moving forward with the 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 franchise is that you know i mean there's a couple of directions this can go this could become like bond territory right where every single installment is increasingly ridiculous and (laughs) increasingly Mm -hmm. insane um to the point where nobody cares anymore and then they have to reboot the whole franchise uh or it could go in the direction that i hope it goes which is that it's almost sort of like an you know it's like an ongoing anthology series and each installment is given to a different talented director to try and make it their own. I mean, Star Wars Episode Eight is going to be directed by Ryan Johnson, who is an excellent director whose films I've loved, uh, Looper and Brick, 
Brothers Bloom, mm-hmm. um, all very interesting films. And, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how constrained he is by the material. Gareth Edwards, I think we got the material out of Gareth Edwards that we could probably expect to get out of him. Um, Godzilla was nothing special, and his debut film, Monsters, was an interesting and fun science fiction flick, but it was it was no, you know, game changer. Um, I just, I wanted to say something about Gareth Edwards, and yeah. I think I kind of voted for Gareth Edwards with my uh, sleeping. With your snoring? <laughs> with my snoring. Um, kind of goes to show how I feel about Gareth Edwards. I keep falling asleep at his movies. <laughs> but in in Rogue One, I just thought the direction was very bland. As you say, Andrew, there was a blandness to it. And I think you can kind of pinpoint that on, on the director because I'm very much obsessed with how movies convey action and depth and and movement and excitement you know sure. it's, a, it's a visual medium but it's it's a moving image you know it's not like a photograph and this is all obvious to everybody but if you're going to be making a film you should take advantage of the x y and z axis when you're staging action and for the most part the camera movements and the, and the directing in general, seem to be moving just left to right along the X and Y axis and not towards us, not towards the audience on the Z. Yeah, he definitely did not move in and out very much. Yeah, there was yeah. very it was very presentational and, and theatrical and only at towards the end when this isn't much of a spoiler alert alert, but towards the end when Darth Vader starts to take a more active role mm. towards the very end, it gets really exciting. And that I think can be attributed to the fact that the camera director is back. having things coming, coming at us, coming at the audience. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I mean, f- filmmaking has such a primal power. It dates all the way back to the 1800s with you know, the train coming into the station that the Lumiere brothers filmed and everybody gets up out of the theater screaming because I think the train is about to run over them. That shit still has power. And to kind of to relegate your your movement to be left and right and not coming at you more, it just seemed uh, I think bland is a good term to describe how the action was staged for the most part. That uh, scene you just mentioned with Darth Vader attacking the ship was by far worth the price of admission for me because that's the like yeah. one of the first times you actually see him just straight up be evil yeah like there's there's other times where he's there's an implied villain he has he's a villain just by what he says and what you've heard that he's done and then in one of the movies that phil never saw he goes into anakin before he becomes Darth Vader. he goes into the temple and supposedly we learn has killed all the kids yeah we don't see it they just completely like cut away from it which is fine you don't no one needs to see a bunch of kids being killed but uh the point is like that's the first time you ever actually get to see him just like go medieval and just like kill a bunch of people super fast and with just all his strength and it's like super scary and i kind of loved it because he's usually he's the one giving the orders for his henchmen to kill people or, or he's killing one person at a time by, you know, pinching the air with his yeah. fingers. Yeah, well. Um, but this know, the, time, yeah, he's just taken out a whole group of people. The truly powerful can have other people do their killing for them, right? Isn't that the way the that's saying what, goes? Something along those lines? That's what I do. 
um, yeah, but uh, I think that 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 is a good point. And there's actually a video essay that I just watched the other day that I'll try to see if I can dig up and we can post it on the In the Queue um, uh, Facebook page. But it is it's it, it talks about the uh, the rise of the mediocre film, just a sort of how blandness in in film just like perfectly average films are what's really killing Hollywood not bad films but average films and it talks about yeah. the fact that in those films one of the distinctive features of it is the lack of uh dramatic framing or uh dramatic camera movement uh nothing that actually reinforces the inner lives of the characters or has any kind of interplay with them or the script or anything. Uh, but when you look at really great films, you know, they, that's exactly what the camera work does. That's exactly what every, every element of a great film works in, in concert with the other elements of the film to make it great. Um, and it's not necessarily noticeable when we're watching it, unless we're big film nerds like we are. Um, but you know, I, I, I know we've talked about this a million times on this podcast, but I think of a movie like There Will Be Blood and how dynamic every shot in that entire movie is uh, and how, yeah. how much it reinforces the characters and the state of mind that they're in and, uh, and the, the clash between the two central characters in that film. It's all echoed by the camera work. Yeah, I remember, and I like, think that what's yeah. Go ahead, Clark. This, the, I had a lot of that same reaction when Kevin Smith started making movies, oh, and yeah. like, like a lot of people were really into it. And I'm watching. I'm just like, it's like just a wide shot of people standing there talking, which is fine. It just like it didn't really do it for me. So I just would always kind of like, no, I don't really want to watch that. You know, <laughs> Mallrats. Yeah, okay, it's kind of cool. Like I've laughed, but like I don't really get that into it for that exact reason. It just seems like there's so many great possibilities that are wasted when you do have something that as Phil was nice to mention, you know, X, Y, and Z, like, and you have a way to show emotion in a story without having to make a cut or say something witty. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, there's a couple ways for a director to approach it. One is to put yourself into the shoes of the audience and think, Okay, I, I know nothing of what I'm about to see. I'm going to be seeing everything for the first time. So how can I make this unique to the audience? Uh, how can I keep in mind that sometimes you don't need to use rapid fire editing. Sometimes one careful shot will, will do the job on its own. Um, or like just to think, how is the shot that I'm making going to affect the person who's watching it? Like just... My, I can only think that being a little bit sensitive to that would help because it seems like too often when a director has a script and they think, okay, here's the scene. And this scene, what's happening is a person is jumping off of a horse onto a moving truck. Okay. And they cover the scene with absolutely no love or, or sensitivity. And they just think, okay, Shot one is going to be here. Shot two is going to be here. Now here's shots three, four, and five, and we'll cut between those in rapid succession, and mm -hmm. then we'll cover the scene, and then we'll be done with it. And it seems like people are kind of losing what is the inherent power of the cinema, 
and the fact that it still has power, even though it's been a long time and, we ha- and we're saturated with images, the cinema still has a primal power over us. Yeah. And Martin Scorsese himself has said that he doesn't watch new movies anymore. And he, he doesn't because the images don't have any meaning. And he's right. Yeah. There's such an oversaturation of images. There's so much content out there that people don't seem to give it any kind of reverence anymore. Other, unless you're like Paul Thomas Anderson or Quentin Tarantino or, or a handful of other good directors. It's like they are, they're, they are forgetting that their, their actions as a director are going to affect people. And, and, and certain things people are getting tired of. They're getting tired of watching an explosion and having it spread over five shots. People want to see things happen within the frame so that they seem more real, not through like cinematic trickery. I'm just ranting about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's a good point. Um, and, and uh, you know, to the sort of earlier point that I was making, I think that the the direction it seems to be headed is, judging by this film, is, is to be more in that direction and less in the direction of, of allowing these directors to sort of experiment and do their own thing. But we'll see. I mean, uh, even even with this sort of plainness of the way that it's shot and all of that, I still found it to be thrilling. I found it to be exciting. It's got a whole ton of great actors in it um, that I enjoyed watching mm-hmm. almost without uh, without fail. I mean, I, Mads Mikkelsen is in it, who we all know I love to death. Uh, Riz Ahmed, who was recently in HBO's uh, The Night Of, uh, is mm-hmm. in it. He's fantastic. Forrest Whitaker, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, who I love to death as well. Uh, if you haven't watched Bloodline on Netflix, go watch it because they canceled They're it. Good. You'll never get any more of it. Oh, they canceled that? Yeah, they canceled it, man. It's killer. It's killer. Uh, yeah, uh, Felicity Jones, of course, is, plays the lead. Uh, I think she does a very good job. Diego Luna plays another one of the leads. Um, as you uh, mentioned earlier in uh, in the film, I mean, in the in the film in the podcast, uh, Phil uh, Donnie Yen is in the film, uh, mm-hmm. doing a, a, a really bang up job as a martial artist. I think. Um, it's just a, it's just a really fun film to watch, and it's good to see all these familiar things. And I think that they did the the film a great service by genuinely setting it in the Star Wars past. Right, all of the technology looks, for the most part, to be consistent with the technology of the film that was made in 1977. Uh, it when it when it segues into that film at the end of this film, it doesn't feel like there's you know, like it's night and day. Like if you watch the the original, or if you watch the prequels, episodes one, two, and three, the technology looks so different. It looks like a totally different set of movies. Uh, not the case here. I mean, mm-hmm. even down to the targeting systems on the uh, on the uh, Tie Fighters having this old like '70s computer readout kind of thing when they're targeting yeah, like the two D lines and yeah, it looks like it yeah. looks like a you're you're playing a a video game back in the early '80s. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the clearest aspect of Gareth Edwards' vision for this film, and that is to to make it look like A New Hope. 
make the technology seem like it's from the 70s, make it seem consistent with the rest of the other films, or, or at least the first film, and and kind of keep everybody happy in that regard. Well, I just um, read an article online that he had actually gone to the uh, Star Wars archives and dug around through all the props and all the stuff to like just to see what he could find and what to what could inspire him. And he actually came across... Uh, he saw some film cans sitting there, and they're like, "He's like, what are what are these film cans?" And he's like, "Oh, there's some of the the original negatives from when they shot the the New Hope." And he's like, "Oh yeah," so he was able to get them to play those for him, and he actually found two shots uh, that were different uh, call signs for the pilots. Yeah, I heard that about were this. in a New Hope that never actually made it into the movie. So they actually got to have two shots that were shot in 1976 or 77 of these guys saying, you know, red leader, go, go ahead. Or, you know, yeah, yeah. checking in. Okay. Yeah. So there was actually like two shots that were original footage. And like, I think that's amazing. Like he actually like spent the time and energy to like, just bring those back to life. Yeah, especially since it's completely seamless. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. know that it was from those films if you if you hadn't heard that story. Um, and I the, hadn't the when I went to see it. So until I read that afterwards, I, I had no idea. Um, yeah. But I think it's really cool. Well, well, actually, the person I saw it with actually noticed that. She was like, wait, those are two original shots. And I was like, I don't know. Like, they happened so fast. Like, I didn't yeah. even really think about it. And like, I thought it was just like, some trickery they had done maybe or something, but turns out it was totally just like real footage from the original. You know, knowing the star Wars lore and knowing the original film, as well as those of us who've seen it so many times do. uh, Yeah. Yeah. You knew that there was a lot of sacrifice, but to some extent I felt a little bit betrayed by previous star Wars efforts because for instance, when you hear Obi-Wan talking about, the time that he spent with Anakin in the Clone Wars, you think about it and you're like, oh man, this is like two old Vietnam buddies. Man, they really, you know, went through it together. They've got that thousand yard stare, you know. And mm-hmm. then when the movie the Clone about the Clone Wars came out, it didn't seem like that. You know, it didn't seem like this intense bond that they had because of like a like going through war together. It just felt like this weird kind of awful mess of a movie. Um, well, the the movie kind of was, but like I'm just like more talking about like the show because the show went on for like eight oh, seasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and there's a lot of good stuff in there, and that and the animation by Jenny Tartakovsky is in, mm. in, in incredible. Um, but I was worried about that happening. Uh, but I felt like in this film, especially given the tumultuous year that 2016 has been in the kind of spot where the world is at this point in time, I felt like the, the sacrifice aspect of this film and the fact that I, I was about, I don't know, maybe three quarters of the way through the film. I was thinking to myself, I wonder if there's going to be, if there there's, if they're going to cop out and not show us, you know, not have anybody actually sacrifice themselves. We've got this huge cast of characters. We, you know, like them for the most part, you know, even though we haven't gotten to know them maybe as well as I would have liked, but we like them and they're fun and it's a a motley crew. And uh, I wonder if there's going to be any actual sacrifice. And when it comes down to it, again, spoiler alert (laughs) for people Mm -hmm. who might still be listening, everybody dies. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) almost literally everyone. I mean, that is, that's, 
that's I, and and in a very dramatic and very uh, compelling way in a, in a lot of cases. Um, there are there are elements of it that I feel like weren't earned. Some of the emotional heft that it was supposed to carry with some of the characters I feel like didn't really hit me too hard because I didn't feel that closely connected to the characters because I feel like they were playing more archetypes than they were actually playing robust, interesting characters. Uh, but even so, I thought that that element of sacrifice was really good. The element of, you know, having to stand up to the empire, so to speak, uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, give your life for the cause, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was very timely and very important. And I thought it was a great message. And it's part of the reason that the, there's all this talk of the alt-right hating this movie so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's plenty for the alt-right to hate, especially in force awakens as well. Yeah. Um, Let's not talk about the alt right. Uh, <laughs> good, call, good call. But um, I did want to say it was a good thing. I it was I actually did feel some good old fashioned like um, excitement uh, when I got to not only see Darth Vader again, but hear James Earl Jones's voice yeah, yeah. as Darth Vader. It was uh, it was very heartening and 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 really kind of fun and exciting. Um, but Peter Cushing, on the other hand, we're running a little bit low. Was that? Yeah, I was about to segue into uh, Peter Cushing. We're running a little bit low on time, but yeah. So this is the first time, I think, ever that a completely computer-generated actor has been created uh, to look like uh, an, an actual person who once existed. And I'm talking about Governor Tarkin. Who was played by Peter Cushing in the in the A New Hope? Grand uh, Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff. Well, in this yeah. one, he's governor. Right? That's true. Yeah, he is not yet yeah. Grand Moff, I guess. Yeah. Although, See, although he has true. to have been dubbed Grand Moff like in a few days from the end of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I yeah, mean... yeah. Any minute now. <laughs> you guys are such nerds. <laughs> um, well, <I'll> <laughs> so, Governor Tarkin. Uh, yeah, I was like, wow. That's got to be CGI because Peter Cushing has been dead for a long time. 22 but years, it, I think. It, really, it, it looked like him, but then I started to, to look closer. And like, then my, my standards got instantly higher. And I began to see all the flaws and how he didn't look like a real person. And I would look into his eyes and they just looked completely lifeless and cartoon. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, if, if, this, is, if this is enough for people to have a computer generated person that does not make you feel like a human being, then we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of this. Well, but I have to give them credit for what they were able to accomplish because it's kind of amazing. And I don't know how they did it. I... Well, did you see the guy like go on IMDb and look at the guy that they had playing him? I think they, he wasn't completely computer generated. They shot an actual guy and then they, yes, they altered his appearance. Uh, and that guy looks like a, a pretty good I'm trying to find him right stand now. in for Peter Cushing. Yeah. I mean, he has the same kind of like shape of his face and his cheeks are kind of right. Right. Guy Henry. Is still. His name. Yeah. Yeah. Still, the, uh, the details well, of it well, all and the, the, yeah. Which makes me wonder about that is like, cause the eyes are always the problem is like, why didn't they just use this actor's eyes? Like, or like good question. 
Good you know, question. like, cause that's always the, the big problem. Like you could think that they could change the head and the hair and then like the skin, but like keep the parts that make people human, human. Well, the other interesting thing about it, and this is a, as Phil is very well aware, I complain about this on a regular basis, but, uh, it, it computer animators, when they're, when they're doing computer animation, especially more recently, they always tend to do too much. And I think that that's what's happening because most of the uh, of the scenes with General Tarkin were conversations between him and Ben Mendelsohn's character, and so you were going, you were cut, you were doing shot reverse shot between creepy, uncanny valley Peter Cushing and very much alive Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> and if you watched Ben Mendelsohn's face, Ben Mendelsohn would have an expression on his face, but his face would not be m- constantly moving. And constantly contorting and and ticking and doing all of this stuff, but then every time you blowing in at, the wind, yeah, exactly, it wasn't blowing in the wind. Uh, but then when you would cut back to Peter Cushing, even when he wasn't talking, his face would be he would just be like his brows would be moving and his eyelids and and his cheeks and everything's always moving because I think that computer animators think that if something isn't moving, then they're not doing their job. But the fact is that when human beings stand and stare and look at each other, even in conversation, it isn't just a constant mass of movement all the time. And that's the what, thing that's is, what whenever, super creeped me out about it. Whenever also the listeners. an animated character, whenever an animated character stops moving, they die. Is that what and it is? Are they like sharks? Yeah, they would just kind of fade away. I just wanted to say I'm sorry for the listeners didn't get to see Andrew moving his face all around while he was describing that. <laughs> it was a treat, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, when it comes down to it, that was the the only thing that I really disliked about this film was that was the Peter Cushing, the weird, creepy Peter Cushing. Everything else I thought was good. It was serviceable. It's it points to a strong present for the franchise, uh, if perhaps a fairly bland future. For the franchise, um, I'm still very much excited about the next installments, um, and uh, I'll continue to go to see them. Um, hopefully, I I won't have to pay a fortune for food at the Alamo Draft House every time, like I did for this one. Uh, but yeah, it it was it was good. It was enjoyable. I recommend it. Uh, I think it's a great, fun sort of popcorn flick, and uh, people should check it out. Um, so Clint, I know you, you support the film wholeheartedly. How do you feel about it ultimately? I loved it. I'm excited for more. Like, I can always forgive a bad-looking Peter Cushing and Leia. <laughs> and Leia, actually, yeah, that's I, true. I found her actually even more creepier. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she was worse. Yeah. Um, but like the story, like it seemed a little, it seemed to drop off a little bit in the middle, and that may have been where Phil fell asleep. Uh, but like overall, like I think I just I, I would have preferred maybe a few less characters, yeah, just so we could have more time with the ones that were there. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure which ones I would necessarily want to cut. I love the sarcastic robot. Yeah, that, that was, voice by Alan Tudyk. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that was I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and again, the Darth Vader fight scene at the end was outstanding. Yeah, yeah, and I loved how they just let it right up to the back door or front door of yeah. a new hope 
Yeah, I like that too because it was very exciting to see that last that last sequence was very fun. Yeah, like I really just wanted to go home and watch the beginning of New Hope. Yeah, yeah. But I don't actually own it, so I don't know how to do that. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> waiting for them to release the uh, the original versions on Blu-ray, and then maybe I'll own it yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I am the voice of dissent among the three of us tonight. <laughs> um, I I didn't hate it. I mean, it was pretty good, I thought, but uh, I also thought that it just was not that interesting overall and i i mean there's absolutely no reason why a star wars movie cannot be exciting you have a whole universe at your disposal to tell a story and there's got to be tons of variations out there and maybe if they if the writers and directors kind of stepped outside of what they've been doing since 1977 um, I mean, this, of course, being said without having seen all of the prequels, but there's just so much, so much material and a wealth of possibilities that they can keep these movies more interesting. And I feel like this one wasn't as interesting as it could have been. That's all. Well, I think that's uh, what they're hoping to do with, like, the Boba Fett one and the Han Solo, because the Han Solo one's supposed to be, like, an origin story almost, like his early years as a smuggler, which they are wide open to pick from. While this one still had a storyline that it had to fit in to, mm-hmm. you know, like I think the idea that they could just do more of these like offshoots, like just pick a character that no one really knows and just expand upon them could be it could quite be, a well. It could be really interesting. And I think that that's what yeah. the last the last film and this film have been is just like laying the groundwork for the future. Or the past. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Well, that's our show. Um, thank you, Clint, for being on. Uh, we Thanks for letting me come back. Time. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again sometime. I hope so. Stay tuned. Yeah. We got our, our next episode coming up later this week. It's going to be Nocturnal Animals, the next the second film by Tom Ford. Ooh. And this Tom Ford, uh, you may know, is a very famous fashion designer. Yeah. But he's kind of coming into his own as a director uh this movie got the special jury prize at the venice film festival yeah yeah and he got a coveted best director nomination for nocturnal animals at the golden globes this year should be interesting you know who didn't get a best directing nomination at the golden globes this year gareth edwards yeah (laughs) and also martin scorsese oh i know but but it didn't get anything at the Golden Globes, did it? It it should have at least gotten Best Supporting Actor, but it may not have gotten that. Yeah, it might not. See, have, I've already seen it, Andrew. It might not have been released in time. Sometimes there are movies that don't get any Golden Globe nominations that get a bunch of Oscar nominations because they're released a little bit later. But I thought the anyway. press got to see all the films. Anyway, all right, he's shouting me down. Stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> We will see you next time. Uh, So we'll catch you later and uh, enjoy yourself out there, folks. Have a good one.